0: My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to The Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities.
1: So at that time, going with my friends a lot, that was like my way of coping with with them, me hanging out with them and drinking and playing video games. And there was a small sliver of hope right around like june of 2005 that perhaps she'd get better and i had hope once again i was working at mcdonald's you know part-time at that time to kind of you know pay for gas you know pay for my car and stuff right how about my dad a little and in july of that year just a few weeks before i I had talked to her and it sounded like she you know she was going to be okay that she was at the coma, that this woman had gone away and everything would be fine. She should be discharging pretty soon. And it's like last few days of July, I'm at work. One of my friends, Laura, she calls me. And I'm at work, obviously, so I don't answer. And I get a voicemail. So I take a break and I hear the voicemail and she's crying. And I instantly knew what was going on. And she just you know, told me to call her and I did. And uh, Lynn had passed away and they tried to do an operation on her thinking that some of the swelling had something to do with a blood clot or uh, some other some other thing that they're, I guess, are trying to figure out. So they did an operation. I don't know the full specifics of it, like what they were trying to do. I know it had something to do with a blood clot for some other reason as well. and. Because she was so swollen, it she kind of just bled to death because her body didn't wow. fully heal. Uh, the and the internal organs didn't, weren't closing, so she it just blood kept flowing, kept bleeding. can't believe Sorry to hear that. Yeah, uh, it's it's all right. And so she passes, and um, I'm devastated. I remember my manager. Uh, thankfully, he let me go home that day because he I, I told him I'd stay, but he you knew just I'm crying, I'm distraught. And I get home, and I tell my mom at mom's home crying, she feels sad for me, yet I kind of always felt like still that that loneliness that it's like, oh, like, because she's trying to tell me like, oh, she's in a better place, you know she's with God and all this and and here I am writing off God, like all throughout these like the past year, you and in my catechism, she's <laughs> trying to like arguing with him, and so obviously, when she tells me that, I don't want to hear it i i I'm just, just completely distraught and I'm and, um, being frustrated with her and and just telling her like yeah you know what I, I need to go like I I need to get out of here and go with my friends obviously and uh, attempt to drown my sorrows again uh, right. with them and I'm drinking around that time that's uh, I'm drinking every weekend. the yeah. time she was in. Uh, about like halfway into the hospital about April of that year, two thousand five, I'm I'm drinking just about every weekend. And so I'm I just go to where where I think I, I, I can get away from the pain. And I'm drinking heavily, uh don't remember too much of the next few days I'm drinking and uh quite constantly and trying to like make every excuse to go up to my friend's house so I can drink. And it, it pains me even more. I remember being with Lynn's parents and they tell me to be the first pallbearer. Like they're like, okay, we haven't asked anyone else in the family. Like we want you to be the first because before she passed, she said that she loved you. And you know, she's like, she's hoping everything goes well, but she could be back with you. And I remember her mom saying that. And I'm just like, why are you telling me this? Like, I, I feel like crap. I I feel so much like crap already. And she told me this and I, I don't know, like, I, I, I don't, I, of course I accept. Um, I'm trying to be strong in front of her, because of course, you know, what am I telling myself as, you know, being a man? I'm like, I, I I need to be strong for them. I need to be strong for everyone else. And I felt like the only people I could really be vulnerable to was my friends when we were drinking. That's kind of like where I started making myself, like, like push myself in that direction.
0: Yeah, and they're I'm around married. the same age as you, and they really don't know how to console you other than, you know, I can imagine no. the teenagers absolutely. just drinking like, uh, yeah, bro, it sucks, bro, or something, you know, who knows yeah. what's everything.
1: It's, it's absolutely. We're, you know, 16, 17 years old, and it's, it's exactly like that. It's like, oh, it's going to be alright, bro, like, here, just drink this type thing, or like, yeah. here, like, let's take another shot.
0: I noticed that you and guys, I mean, most mo- most guys in high school start off with beer, you guys just went straight to the to the hard stuff.
1: Yeah, we... We had a we had a thing of uh, not drinking beer. We didn't uh, like it high school. in high school. We thought it had a horrible taste. And then at the same time, it was just like oh, because liquor you can like mix it with anything. You can mix it with Coca Cola. You can mix it with Sprite. You can mix it with you know any type of sugary drink and make it taste better. Right. You know? And so I I you know I'm barrier. It's early August of uh 2005. Going into senior year and. Of course, when the school year starts, I take a visit to. They call me to the counselor's office, and uh, counselor's ask me if I'm okay because all my teachers know. Everybody knew that I was. I, I'm pretty sure some. Pretty sure some of my friends. I'm pretty sure some of my fellow classmates. I almost can guarantee told my my teachers uh, told the counselors that like you know check on Ruben because I remember often they they would ask me if I'm okay.
0: And Were they fearful of you committing suicide?
1: I would say yes. Only because of, uh, I did mention it to my counselor and I did try it around that time. Uh, I was trying really hard to, uh, I remember one day after, not long after she passed, it might've been right around the school year started already or not, but I did have like a knife there and, the kitchen and my house. You know, my parents are not home. No one's home, and I'm just thinking, like, why not just end this? Why, why continue to deal with this? Being, I don't know. Being, I wouldn't say. I guess it's just that fearful of a person of death as well. Um, I, I didn't do it obviously, and. Then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try to do it by drinking myself to death. Right. And like one day, I'm at my friend's house. I'm drinking heavily, and I, I remember like vomiting you know, like a bunch, uh, just making myself completely sick that night. And I was like, crap! Like it, it didn't work. And maybe because I just really didn't want to do it, I was still, I was actually scared of dying. Right. Of dying. And they obviously they were fearful of that. Call me into my counsel's counsel office, talk to him, and even to the counselor, I told her I was like, you know i like I was like, what's the point of living? I remember telling her that, so senior year starts I'm telling myself this narrative, the story of that pain of uh I'm not good enough, like this is just another way of the world telling me I'm not good enough i, I mean i till that point you know i wasn't i didn't have high self esteem of myself uh, of course i've always thought myself, like, I'm okay, I'm an outcast, I'm a nerd, like, I'm I'm the person that people don't want to be with, and I finally get, like, the first person that I think, like, understands me, truly understands me, and, you know, she passes, and I'm telling myself that story, like, this is just God's way of showing me, like, there, I don't have anybody, I'm supposed to be alone, I'm supposed to get this through myself, like, I'm supposed to make it myself, a true person, a true man, like, makes it on his own, and it's in whatever way it could be with drinking or using drugs. And mine was that I use that as like, okay, like, just when the pain comes, that's when I'll just self-medicate myself. Like I will drink. And senior year, I started doing that. I'm I'm only uh, I'm only really taking like five classes anymore because I've already taken enough units. So I'm TAing for like two classes, and most of the time my my teacher didn't teachers didn't really need us. And so I we started skipping those classes a lot. And what we'd do is we'd go to my friend's house and we'd drink. So now we're drinking not just on weekends, but on weekdays. And it's, it's becoming one of those things where I'm working to, yeah, pay my gas, but we're also working and pitching our money together to just continuously drink. And I'm, I'm not feeling too highly myself. Of course, like there are a couple other girls that like I remember talking to like senior year and I just don't feel well myself. I feel like I'm tainted, like I'm not adequate, like I'm inadequate, like I'm just, uh, I'm not meant for to be with anyone. I'm not meant to be someone's friend, not meant to be someone's brother, I'm not meant to be someone's son. And so right. I really shut in to my parents, my brothers, my friend, even my friends that I would drink with, every now and again they would ask me questions, how I'm doing, and I bottled it all in. I, I bottled it all in because I honestly believe like n- no one else wants to hear your problems. Like Ruben, you barely even want to hear your own problems. So why are you going to just, why are you going to tell the people? Like, why are you even going to do it too? Because then now they're going to judge you even more. They're probably not going to want to be your friend anymore or be around you. Like why risk it? Like you, you can handle this. I did that all senior year. I I continuously told myself that I could handle it. And I continued to drink more. I went out to street race every now and again at that time. But even being with even my my like, passion for like cars and like working on cars and stuff, it, even that went away. Like it, every, it felt like everything just went away. Everything that I once loved, video games, everything that cars, everything that I enjoyed, it just felt like it didn't have that same. Wow factor anymore. Like there was still, there was no more joy in my life, and I had planned where, okay, I'm gonna go down to Cal Poly. She was gonna go to LMU, down south, and like we're gonna hang out quite often when we're in college. And so I, I get accepted, at Cal Poly, Mona, and I decide that's where I'm gonna go. And now I have this plan where I can remake myself. I started thinking, at the end of my senior year, life, I can reinvent myself. I've always been this nerd, I've always been this square, I've always had these, all these people around me, my friends, they know this pain that I suffer. they know all this stuff. I don't want to be that when I go to college. I need to show that I'm like, I'm fun, I'm happy, and the way to show that is by being outwardly happy, even though inwardly, I was a mess. Yeah, inwardly I couldn't even tell you what emotions I felt. One minute maybe I was angry, the next moment I was, like, completely melancholic and depressed to the point of, like, being suicidal. Senior year ends, and I I go off to college with the plan of, like, I am I have a chance to, to be something different. And I have a chance to be accepted, like a chance to finally feel adequate, a chance to, to be happy once again. So I, I remember I came with a plan of that first day, like when I'm moving into the dorms, I'm gonna bring a whole bunch of booze with me, a whole bunch of drinks, and I'm gonna be the life of the party. Right. And that's exactly yeah, that's exactly what I did. I, I remember my parents helping me move into my dorm room, the fall of 2006. I'm 17. My parents are all worried because you know I'm 17. And They're like, you're too young, you're too young. Something that they still safe with this day, <laughs> like you're too young when you went and. They left, and I remember the minute that they left, I had a duffel bag where the spare tire was at in my car with some Grey Goose and just a bunch of different other bottles of liquor because <laughs> I felt that I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to regret myself, that I'm the life of the party, that like I'm happy, I'm here to have fun, it's college, and that I'm not this squared that plays video games all day or likes to work on cars that would rather do, you know, read or, or do math than party. than like, have fun, than experience life, folks, is what I thought. And I remember they left, and I pulled that duffel bag out. I, I start the party there at the dorms. Like, I, I get a few people over, and I start drinking with them. After that, it's slowly the story I started telling myself, even in high school. Like, I'm inadequate, so a lot of the, like, girls I meet or anything, I'm – too afraid to even talk to them because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm in at like, I'm not too afraid to, uh, I I do talk to a lot of them. And at the same time, I'm like, but that's all I'm going to do because it's too soon. Lynn just died the year before. Like I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be worthy of love again. Like I shouldn't be worthy of like having somebody. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to have fun with my bros in college. And so I did that. I, I joined a fraternity that first week of college and uh same fraternity my, my oldest brother was in Sigma Phi Epsilon and we were there like my pledge class was like 34, 35 of us like the biggest one we had up until that point and I just remember that it was kind of expecting me to like oh you're little Leo like you're 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 your brother's little bro like you know it he was he was always partying yeah, and I wanted to be like that. Like I, I wanted to be the one that's partying, the one that people are like, "Oh yeah!" Like I had so much fun with your with your older brother. Like your older brother was fun. Like we always partied together. I wanted to be like that. Like obviously, they had good memories with my brother. Up until this point in my life, I feel like I didn't really have many good memories with my brother, with my friends, with a lot of my other family. Like there were some good times, but. I was so focused with all of the bad, all the times when like I, I felt down, I focused so much on that word that I wanted to feel accepted. And so I, you know, I joined the journey and now I'm drinking and by like three days into being college, I'm smoking weed to the point where like a few weeks after that, I'm smoking weed every single day, drinking every day, just about. And telling myself Completely that of that narrative that like I'm here to have fun. I'm young, and you know what, life moves on, and I'm gonna have fun like on on my terms. But that's still the fear, that fear and doubt inside of me. Like the fear and doubt of like what are other people thinking? Like what are they like? How do I be? How am I perceived by other people? I always wanted to be perceived well. For some reason, I have this really bad character defect of just, honestly, I always want people to see the outside of me and be like, that's a fun, happy person who, like, has everything going well in his life, because I wanted to hide the fact that, like, everything inside of me was horrible, that I always felt lonely, that I always felt depressed, and I was able to do that in college, and, like, even more so, because now I'm like, okay, like, no one knows where I came from. No one knows like my past much. I can show them this false side of me, like this side of like, oh, I'm here as a college kid to have fun. And first year in college, I don't even make grades. So our fraternity, you have to be at least, I think it was a 2.6 or 2.5 on the two. I got like a 2.4, five, and I'm not taking hard classes. I'm taking, you know I think like pre-calculus. I had to retake like math courses that I'd already taken in high school. Just because I didn't study well enough in my senior year of college, that I didn't pass any of the AP exams, like so I'm retaking some of the class, same classes I took, and I can't even do well in them. I'm getting C's, C pluses, B minuses, like maybe at that. And I'm drinking and smoking every day. And after that quarter, that first one, that fall quarter, I'm going into winter quarter. I make it like an effort, like okay, um, I want to be a part of a fraternity, so I'm going to make grades. But I'm not going to sacrifice my smoking and drinking. I just decide I'm going to go to less parties, and I did that for that quarter. And I would continue to do that from time to time throughout the rest of my college experience, college life. Because it would be one quarter where like I do phenomenally, and the next quarter I wouldn't. And it's just because I'd be like, oh, I have to pick up my grades. I have to make sure I stay in good standing with the attorney or like good, just even good standing at college. And so I. After that winter quarter, it's like 2007, uh, spring of 2007. Um, by that time, I'm juicing, smoking weed, and drinking every day, as I said. But I start kind of experimenting with uh, other drugs, um, shrooms, ecstasy, you know, your club drugs. I I start.
0: And how old were you at this those. time?
1: I'm eighteen. Okay. 18 years old. I mean, I started smoking weed when I was 17. I started using these other drugs when I was 18. And I also started eventually, not too long after that, about going into my second year into college, right around that time, even before then, I was started selling drugs. And it's something that my family, they, they know now. People didn't know then. Of course, my fraternity bros knew. Of course, like all college, like a lot of college kids knew. But outside of that circle, even some of my friends back from home didn't know either to the extent that I, I was actually selling drugs. And that was 18 going into my second year, fall of 2007. And at this point, I'm really trying to like support my high. And I keep telling myself that, you know, it's just college. Uh, I'll get over this. Like, once I'm done, like, I'm here to party and I'm here to experience life. Right. And I kept telling myself that excuse. I kept using that justification. And when that justification would didn't work, when it would come up and bite me back in the butt and show its face and be like, hey, you're on academic probation again or something, then I would use the excuse of, like, I'm in too much pain because of, like, what's happened in my past. Right. I had I it. Excuse for just about everything. So I started uh, selling drugs. That came about right around uh, towards the end of my first year. started hanging out with a dude in the dorms. He was, uh, I was always buying uh, weed from him. What had happened was that he got kicked out of the dorms, and he started giving me more so I could sell to, uh, to my fraternity and just people at the dorm there. So it slowly started progressing from there where uh, when I moved out of the dorms and went to uh, live in this apartment off of uh, Mission Boulevard there, he then started, one of our other friends started coming over and he started leaving his drugs that like he would buy there as well. He was selling and he would always leave it there and tell me, like, hey, like, if any of your friends come over, go ahead. I can't always have all this stuff around me because it's just too much. Whereas, you know, Hey, you know, you can keep it here. And I was like, yeah, right. that's fine. Um, you know, it's, it's cool. Cause I was like, all right, like he's letting me get free weed and like free stuff. Like, and also at the same time, like yeah, I'm benefiting him and it's benefiting me because, uh, he's giving me a little money off of it. And so fully from but
0: you probably get that attention as a the guy who absolutely. can get
1: stuff. Absolutely. So I definitely that, uh, I started getting a lot more attention as a Told you a little while ago that I always wanted to be perceived like well or like perceived good, be accepted, and um, yeah. At this point, a lot of my fraternity bros are you know coming to me to buy drugs. A lot of sorority girls, different just girls also in general are coming over as well to to, to pick up some to pick up drugs now, and it kind of makes me feel good because I'm like okay, like they're actually hitting me up, and sometimes when they're hitting me up, they're like, hey, come hang out. And it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, like I never got that much where people just call like, Hey, Ruben, come hang out. It was always me going like, Hey, what are you up to? At this point now it's like, Hey, like Ruben, like come over, like come over to party. Like, Oh, Hey, come o- come over to my house. So it's, that feels good. Like I feel like I'm accepted. And right. that's what I've always just wanted. I I've just wanted this acceptance. Like I wanted to feel like I've been, I've been included. And finally, I'm starting to feel that, and I'm starting to feel it at a time when I'm doing cocaine and ecstasy just about like every single day of my fall second year to the point where I lose about 60 pounds um, in about a two-month span, and my parents see this, and they're like, what the heck is wrong with you? I get the worst grades that I did throughout my entire time at Cal Poly. I got like a one point like seven or something. It was ridiculous. Like I, I, I failed. For, like I didn't pass a class, and I'm on academic probation, pretty much losing it all. And but at the same time, I'm like, it can't be all bad. I'm finally have friends. Like I finally have people who are talking to me. Right. So I figure, you know what? I'm just gonna stop using the hard core drugs as I deemed them. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna drink and smoke. And every now and again, when I go to a rave or something, I will, uh, do some ecstasy. But like, besides that, like, I'm going to limit it to just drinking and smoking. I thought, you know, that, that's fine. Like those, those aren't bad. Those are, everyone does those around me. So that, that's fine. So that's how I began to like just normalize. I, I normalized that so much at the end of my second year, my grades got better. Winter quarter, spring quarter kind of went down again. Not so great. And at summer of uh, 2008, my, Brother, you know, tells my parents that uh, he's hearing from some of my fraternity bros that you know I'm I'm doing drugs, and my parents, you know, they're they're not dumb; they they knew I was. Like who who loses sixty pounds in two months? Uh, I wasn't right. on Jenny Craig or something, you know. So <laughs> it's yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. like hitting the gym every day or on or dieting. So they kind of figured, and uh, I remember being back at home in big visiting them, and they they tell me, you know, hey, we want you to come back. Either that or, you know, we're going to pull you out of Cal Poly if you, if you don't come back. And I somehow make some some arrangements with them, I'm arguing with them, and I make some arrangements of, uh, hey, I'm going to stay at Cal Poly. Like, I'm paying for my tuition on my own anyways. So if this, like, if you guys don't like it, then I just don't need you guys. It's not like I'm a part of the family much anyways. Um, right. A lot of times I told myself, yeah, a lot of times I told myself, like, you guys love my oldest brother anyways. You guys gave him everything. Like, you guys helped him out a lot. Uh, he's the junior of the family. Like, you guys always gave everything to him. I told myself that story a lot. So, I was like, I felt like he was he was loved. I felt like I always needed to be in competition with him. This is why, like, he went into mechanical engineering. I went into mechanical engineering at the same school, joined the same attorney, because I was like, anything you can do, I can do better. Right. Um, And I I wanted to prove that to like my parents, and here I was, I wasn't, and I was like, you know what, like if I'm the way I could prove it, then is going like, hey, I am not going to listen to you guys, and I'm going to continue going to Cal Poly, and if you guys just want to continue like to just completely disown me or something, like go ahead. Being irrational uh, as a kid is 19 years old at the time, doing drugs every day, so obviously I'm not in the right state of mind as I'm telling them this, and I I kind of get them to finally reconsider, and they're like, okay, we just want you to leave the fraternity then. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Um, so I did for a few quarters. Of course, I didn't stop my drinking or smoking weed or any of my other drugs, uh, much of my other drug use, and the only difference was I started taking easier classes and less classes. I was like, all right, I'm just going to make sure I take certain classes in certain quarters so I can pad my grades. Like, so in case, if I fail one of them or I get a D in one of them, I'm still getting a 2. You know, five or something. Like, I'm still looking okay. So I, I kind of, like, rationalized that way that uh, this is the way I'm going to get around it. And I did that. Uh, I switched my major to manufacturing engineering that same year, going to third year. And I then, after that, stopped going to fraternity for a few quarter, a couple quarters. Um, not too long after that, anyways, our uh, our fraternity got suspended from uh, on campus for a hazing incident that luckily I wasn't at. <laughs> but <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All this culminating of like I'm using, I'm drinking every single day. I start dating uh, a girl around this time, uh, my ex-girlfriend. And at this point, I'm in no fit condition to be dating anybody. I, I'm feeling like I'm okay because not long after that, going into my fourth year, I start interning at an aerospace company down in Palmdale. And at that time, in order to work there, you need a security card for the Department of Defense. I'm like, okay, I'm doing very well for myself. Like I feel like I'm picking myself back up. Like I feel like I'm finally, you know, there were dark times there. I didn't know whether I was actually gonna make it through college. But like now I'm 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 on the right track. And it was just because all I had to do was stop using the big drugs and just use the little drugs as I but you know, like I thought of it. I just needed to just drink and smoke and that was perfectly fine. And I, I did that for uh, a couple more years. I'm interning at that company. And during this entire time, I'm I'm smoking weed every single day. Uh, I was an hour and a half commute. And every single day, I'm getting high before I go on that hour and a half commute. I get out of work, I get high, and drive back an hour and a half. Sometimes, like, we would go to a sushi bar or something, and I would drink a little bit there. Couple of socky bombs or something, and get high, and then drive home. Or sometimes leaving school, like drink a couple beers, get high, and then drive to work or something. Because oh, it's an hour and a half; I'll be sober by the time I get there. Was that so the, I started did that normal- become
0: the normative for you?
1: It became the norm for me. Yes, I definitely normalized that. Where every time I was going to work, every time I was going to school, I, I was at least high. I was at least had just smoked marijuana. Or I had drank a few beers and I was I had just smoked as well. So it became normal because I was like, I have to get to work, I have to get to school, but I also have to do this like because I'm with my friends or like I'm going to, like someone's hitting me up and I have to like meet up with them. So it became normal because I'm like I'm always on the go so I have to drive. Like I like I, I wherever I'm going, I'm gonna have to drive to get there. So I'm normalizing like, and I know when I get to wherever I'm going, I'm probably gonna drink a beer, or I'm probably gonna smoke, and then like I'm gonna have to drive somewhere else after that. And I would say that's like the really big pattern that started normalizing
0: uh,
1: everything, where I started driving a lot more while intoxicated, and it was just because I felt like I had to always be somewhere. I had Were to be a party. The- I, had
0: to- <laughs> right. I had to be somewhere, and uh, it you know it takes a vehicle to get there, and
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah. and here here I
1: am, like, uh, no one else is going to take me, so I have to take myself. Like, I'm I'm the one going to work, so I I need to get to work. And I did that for a few years, even to the point where, you know, my ex-girlfriend even mentioned it many times, why you do this. And, uh, you know, she was concerned for me.
0: So There were were people, I mean, she's one of them, where there are others Say, hey,
1: knock it off. I, I, I had a roommate that I was really close with in college some of my good friends, uh, Brian and Alex, they, they had stopped smoking. They had stopped like doing that stuff. And so they were kind of like, why am I still doing it? Sometimes I would ask, like, I would kind of ask them like, Hey, do you want to smoke me or Hey, do you want to do this? And they're like, no, nah, I'm I'm high on life or like I'm living life instead. And I was kind of like, Oh, you're just a buzzkill. Uh, I would make jokes and I could tell now that that was their way of being concerned for me. That was their way of like, they knew they I wouldn't listen if they're like Ruben, we really need to talk to you or something. They knew right. I was not going to listen. Their way of trying to show me was like through jokes, and instead and of you, that, I just I joked back. Yeah,
0: and were you the kind of guy that was like, oh, I, I drive better while I'm drinking, or I drive better while I'm high? Oh,
1: that, uh, I would say I was like, I, I definitely drive a lot more calm. I drive a lot more uh, relaxed. I would say that. All the times when I got like a, a, a speeding ticket, I wasn't high, and I hadn't been drinking, and I was like, obviously, this <laughs> there, there there definitely was a belief there where I was like, mm, obviously, I <laughs> I wasn't driving right because when I'm high, like I'm driving, I, I'm more careful because I'm more focused, and this time I wasn't like because I just I was sober or something, so there there definitely there definitely was some belief there that that definitely started formulating about that that i could obviously do this that i'm in control i have a really strong control factor like that's one of my character defects like i can do this i am in control of myself of my in the
0: in the the book the criminal personality they also talk about one of the criminal traits is super optimism you believe like that'll never happen to me and and i'm not going to be the one to get caught sort of like earlier on when you would get away with the drag race you know just continue to get away with it continue to get away with it and Think you're invincible?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, you feel invincible, especially when you're 22 years old and you have the security clearance of the Department of Defense and all this stuff. Like you start feeling entitled. You you feel deserving. You feel like you're in control, and you feel like nothing's gonna stop you, until something does
0: stop you. Thank you for listening to the Prison Post, a production of the Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice. So please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our videocast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.